I'll write down that rabbit hole So reality is questionable Try but you just can't let it go These two right here put on the show It's paranormal overload with southern hospitality Haunted murder mayhem tip while discussing immortality Locations with a dark past History that comes to life Hillbillies with a knack for Everything that goes bump at night Overthinking if you by yourself These two will have you turning on the lights Mixing in a little comedy to make sure it all fits in just right hey. Welcome to Hillbilly Horror Stories Now here's your hosts Jerry and Tracy Paul And their dog Ninja Hey guys, welcome to episode 284 of Hillbilly Horror Stories. I'm Jerry. And I'm Tracy. We hope you had a good Christmas if you celebrate Christmas. Yeah. And now I'm sad. Because it's over. I know. And when you go to the stores and you see everything's half off, it's like, that's it. It's done. (laughs) So sad. But I hope you guys had a great, great Christmas with family and friends. Yeah, we want to thank all of our military and civil servants all over the world, no matter which country you represent. Thank all of you men, women, and service animals for everything you do every day for us. Yes, and I I hope you guys had a good Christmas as good as you can, being away from family and stuff like that. We appreciate you guys every single day. You are our angels, and we'll pray for you all the time. And Freddie just jumped up on the counter. And he did. Tracy, a lot of people right now are struggling. It's just that time of the year. And uh, I know we've talked to a lot of people here in the past couple of weeks that are going through several different types of issues, you know, could one end of the spectrum to the other. And I'm glad that we can at least give an outlet to some of these people to talk to. Because for everybody that we talk to, I mean, who knows if they would have had anybody else to talk to. All right. And that's what's so awesome about this group is that our group is always there for people. When, when they're struggling, and, and you see it every day, mm-hmm. every yeah. day. Very blessed. So we just want you to know that if you're having a tough time dealing with something, you don't have to go through it alone. That's It's not a bad thing to reach out for help. Not that's at all. The, that's the key. It's not a weakness to reach out for help. Nope. That's so. what we're here for, guys. We love y'all, and, um, you know, like we all we always tell you, y'all can call me uh, Jerry or I anytime, day or night, and reach out to the group. If you would rather call the 800 number, it is 800-273-8255. You can also text at 741-741. But there's always somebody here for you guys. Please, please, we beg of you, just reach out and talk. You'll feel better. Absolutely. Also tonight, Tracy, we had the guys, Josh and the crew, from Paranormal Detectives on. Good. And they they were super fun because... uh, one of the one of the members of the group is a ufologist, mm-hmm. as I always screw that word up, ufologist. <laughs> but he actually does a lot of research on UFOs, and he had a lot of knowledge. So we talked to, uh, about UFOs and sightings and stuff like that. Another member that was on with us, uh, she's a medium, so she talked about some of that. And then Josh, obviously, he's had some ties with uh, the producers and stuff from uh, Art Bell's group from you know stuff that he's done so mm-hmm. he's got a lot of good ties in the paranormal community so it was a lot of fun so we got that right after this episode so tracy we got some cool stuff from the studio 
for uh, uh, Christmas. You got me a an awesome uh, coffin with a skeleton lamp mm-hmm. and a skull on the uh, lampshade. I, yeah. I posted that, I think, in the group yesterday. If not, I'll make sure I post it in a group for people to see. No, I didn't know you posted it. I posted it. I posted it on my personal page. I can't remember if I posted it in the group or not. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my son Alex and his girlfriend Kim got me a uh, framed moth like the one in Silence of the Lamb. Yeah, that's very cool. That looks really good there, by that, the way. That we hung up in here. So mm-hmm. Very cool. A couple, couple of cool things. But it was a, it was a great Christmas uh, for us. Everybody got to spend time together, and that's the key. Yeah. We still have one more Christmas to go. So but between, we couldn't get everybody together. <laughs> but in between, we're leaving uh, to go to Florida for the Citrus Bowl to watch our beloved Kentucky Wildcats that's right. on New Year's Day. Go so Cats! We'll get to spend some time with Diane and Kelly from History Goes Bump because yeah. they're right in that area. That'd be nice. So we're going to go out to dinner and then they've invited us over to their house for breakfast the day of the bowl game. Sounds great. Apparently Kelly makes these awesome crepes. Ooh. So. Man, I love, I've made crepes one time in my life and that was in Home Ec. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was a many moons ago. The only time I've ever had crepes was at IHOP. No, they're so, so good. I love them. So, Tracy, tonight's story. I actually, we have a buddy named Rick Hill, and he is uh, the co-host of the Shadow Initiative with our, our buddy, Stephen Lancaster, who was uh, Norman Nadal's owner. He, yeah. He's been on a couple of times. And they've got their own YouTube channel. Where they have, uh, they talk about all these things. It's called the Shadow Initiative. It's really cool. I've had the pleasure of being on the show one time. But Rick Hale writes for a couple of different publications. And I was flipping around and I saw one of the articles he had written. It had four different haunted locations. And one of which was the Stone Public House in Ashland, Massachusetts. And I hadn't heard of it before. Mm -hmm. But it really piqued my interest. So I started digging a little bit deeper Went down some rabbit holes, and I thought this would be a really cool story to do once I found out all the different information on there. All right. So let's get into some history first. The building today is a restaurant, and they serve, I guess it's more like traditional, more like an English dishes, but something you would see during colonial times. Like they have shepherd's pie. And then obviously they have steak. Steak and chips is one of the things where, you know, you're used to seeing like steak mm-hmm. and fries, but it's steak and chips. And they have roasted cod. Mm. And this roasted cod has like clams and stuff in it. Oh, no. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. I forgot you don't like clams unless they're fried. <laughs> they have stone soup. <laughs> no. Stone soup. <laughs> anyway, the Stone's Public House was established by John Stone in 1834. Construction started two years earlier. Originally, it was called the Railroad House. Any idea why? Uh, the railroad goes by there? I don't know. Pretty much. Oh. I wonder if they had tartar sauce. I don't know. I wonder how they ate their fish. Roasted, apparently. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. John Stone was a very savvy businessman, and he owned most of the land that was in the center of town there. At the time, it was called Unionville. Now, John was also a farmer and a captain in a militia. Dang, he's jack-of-all-trades there, wasn't he? (laughs) Right. 
I'm sure that let look great on a resume. Yeah. Ah, oh, let's see. I see. Well, I see you're captain of your own militia. Mm, very Interesting. impressive. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he got wind that the railroad was going to be coming straight through the center of town on his land. So he decided he was going to build a hotel right by the railroad tracks. Oh, well, that's kind of smart. The railroad house officially opened on September 20th, 1834. And apparently there was like 300 people that showed up. Dang. That's a good grand opening. Yeah, for the 1800s. Yeah. They probably read about it on Facebook or something. <laughs> they could that's have. How, that's how they knew he had a live event posted on Facebook. <laughs> or somebody <laughs> chiseled it out on the tablet. <laughs> <laughs> they had pen and paper back then. Oh. This was the wooden oh, that's DC. Right. Oh. Was <laughs> <laughs> this was not just a hotel, though. It was a hotel, a barn, and a cattle yard. The whole nine cattle yards. Eventually, he would add a home for his family to stay at on the premises. Now, like I said, there was about 300 people that came for the grand opening, and it apparently was a very festive event. Now, John only ran the business for a little less than two years. He then started leasing it out to a list of different innkeepers that went on for several years. It is interesting that he did choose to live on the property even after he relinquished control of the business. So I guess he just liked it there anyway. Mm-hmm. He has the right. He does. It's his place. He That's do what right. he wants. John Stone died in 1858. W.A. Scott then bought the business 10 years later in 1868. I'm not sure what happened the 10 years in between. I don't know if his family ran it or, or what the situation was. Now, as we so often see in these stories... The property fell into severe disrepair over oh, the years. that's awful. That is until Leonard Cappy Fournier bought the building in 1976. So you're probably looking at a over a 100-year period. Yeah, yeah that's a long time. Mm-hmm. Cappy was also the first person to explore the paranormal side of the property. There was a newspaper article that came out in 1984 that revealed some of these incidents. Now, according to the article, bizarre happenings began seven years earlier when Fournier bought the inn. The article states that doors would open on their own. They would not remain bolted. (laughs) That's a problem. What? I thought you were joking. No, the doors would open on their own and then they would not remain bolted. So when they bolted them closed, they would unbolt themselves. And then lights would turn on and off by themselves. Pretty common. We see those a lot of times. Fournier had went public with his experiences two years after the purchase. In the five years since going public, several psychics and medium had visited the inn. Fournier said that the stories from each who visited varied from one end of the spectrum to the other. But they all detected one thing in common. When he brought them upstairs... To one of the rooms, one specific room, they all felt the strangest feeling in the back half of that room. Every single one said the exact same thing about that particular room, and that's what made a believer out of him. All of the psychics and mediums said that there were more than one spirit in the house, and most were bad-tempered, gloomy male spirits. wonder why they're so down. I don't know. One of the mediums, Lee Sonnenfeld said that a drunk named Bert Phillips may have died in the inn in the 1890s. And he refused to leave 
because he enjoys the atmosphere there. Mm-hmm. Assistant manager at the time, Butch Adams, said that regardless of who that ghost is, he would not be caught dead alone in the inn at nighttime. Dang, he must be pretty, pretty scary then. <laughs> well, this is because he actually had a frightening experience of his own. One night, he was finishing the floors, and he said for no apparent reason, a handful of bird seed fell through the holes in the ceiling. Oh, well, now, that is bizarre. Yeah, because it wouldn't, uh, like the roof, it was like the ceiling where he, there was an, yeah. a second floor. Bartenders were constantly talking about water faucets turning on by themselves. Customers have reported being tapped on the shoulder only to turn around and no one be there. Now, Pretty there was, common. Huh? Pretty common. Yeah. <laughs> there was another article written in 1984 by a professional hypnotist by the name of Ralph Bibbo. Now, he had made a visit to the inn and he was fascinated with it, so he decided that he wanted to write this article explaining everything that he experienced there. He felt that there were six or seven entities that were trapped on that property. Not only that, after talking to several spirits, he thinks he knows why they are all there. Oh, wow. Well, let us know. One of the spirits was a chambermaid by the name of Sadie. Sadie's spirit told him that John Stone accidentally killed a gambler from New York who was staying at the inn. John apparently had lost $3,000 to the New Yorker and accused him of cheating. This was back in 1845. That is a butt ton of money. It is, especially in 1845. Now, again, this is what Bibbo says happened, not necessarily what's real life. This is just what he says he was told to him. Oh, okay. Wait, so. Yeah, it's what he was told to him by these spirits that he talked to. The spirits told him that six or seven people witnessed the murder and then they helped John Stone bury the body in the basement. All of the men were bound to secrecy. Why would they why would they bury him in the basement? That's I mean, maybe, huh? I don't know, that's what people did. Well, I saw one report that said his body was burned in the basement, like cremated. Ew. So, I mean, there wouldn't be anything left. And then I saw other stuff that said that he was supposedly was buried in the basement. Most of them say buried. I mean, I would just think that people would be onto that somehow. Well, you would think it's an inn. Right. And a restaurant. You would think there'd be people coming and going all the time. Yeah, I'd be like, dang, we must be having roast for dinner tonight. <laughs> Something smells good. Oh, Lord. What's for dinner? We're not having dinner tonight. Maid's uh, off. Oh, anyway. my Lord. So there was a videotape session where Stone actually uh, entered, supposedly entered the body of one of Bibble's associates, a guy named Terry Pendleton, which is, I don't think it's the same Terry Pendleton that played for the Atlanta Braves. I think <laughs> I'm it's sure, sure it's not. Okay, I was just making sure people knew. In this instance, Stone angrily told the crew that was watching the session to get out of here. He said, I want you off my premises. Oh, this is why he's entered the body Yeah, that's what he said after he went into the body <gasps> of one of his associates. Oh, can you imagine doing that? Like going into another body? I guess like on Ghost, right? Yes, exactly. Oh, dang. Go ahead. Fournier was so convinced by Bibble's discovery that he allowed him to dig up the basement in search of the body. 
So they brought in excavation crews and, and all that. Apparently, there was nothing found in the basement. Nuh-uh. So there's not a whole lot, really, about the aftermath of that, other than it was going to happen, and I saw one thing that said nothing was found. Man, how that's so annoying. Because well, so then he calls everybody to dig up, and then there's, like, nothing there, so then he looks like an idiot. Yeah, he could have had Geraldo out there. I mean, seriously. Because then he said, well, are they going to believe that he went into the body? Well, I mean, that would be easy to fake. I mean, I could sit here and just all of a sudden just start saying stuff. And well, say yeah, I know that. But then police are probably looking at this guy or whoever like, what the heck is your Well, problem? I don't think the police were I mean, involved. not the police, but I mean, you know. Yeah, they're, they're not really caring about a murder that happened in 1845 or something, 140 years before that. Well, that's very true. <laughs> that's true. Well, the question is, is any of that true? Because Cliff Wilson, who's the president of the Ashland Historical Society... He says that the whole story about Stone killing Burt uh, Richards or uh, whatever the guy's name is. <laughs> is <laughs> That's Profesh. <laughs> well, I said his name right the first time. Anyways, killing Burt is, and the whole group hiding the body is a, is a bunch of baloney. That's his exact words. So you mean I got all worked up over nothing? Well, when don't you? Well... So he went on to say that it's not based on any real evidence, only the spiritual reading of Ralph Bibbo. Cliff Wilson's reasoning is that Stone did not manage the inn, even though he built it. He only managed it for a couple of years. So he's mm-hmm. saying he would manage it at this time. So he probably wouldn't have been there at the inn. And he was also a very strict Baptist. What's so, that got to do with it? Well, anything? back then, strict Baptist didn't gamble. Or play cards. Playing cards was bad enough. That's how gambling, come I changed my religion. <laughs> ga- gambling, gambling would have been, uh, you know, like a major sin. Oh back yeah, then for, yeah. So I can that, say that. So he said the fact that he probably wouldn't have been playing cards, let alone gambling, was bad enough. But yeah, then he also probably wouldn't have been then? a huh? What they do for fun? Well, they had plenty of brothels and stuff back then. Oh, that's true. Well, that makes up for it, I guess. He also added that. Several names were actually mentioned that in the story of the that Bibble had came up with all these different names, like mm-hmm. the chambermaid and all that mm-hmm. stuff. And they said that none of those names showed up anywhere in historical records of ever existing, including the person that was supposedly killed. So there's no proof that that person ever existed or any of the names that was brought up in these sessions. So that was just a waste of time. Probably. That doesn't mean that there hasn't been paranormal experiences in the building. It oh, just I'm means sure that there that probably, probably has hasn't. Been. So, in fact, even Cliff Wilson, who just told us that all that story was baloney, he's even had an encounter. Now, this was about 10 years ago. Cliff was interviewing a man in the restaurant. The man actually had planned on coming to town because he was going to write a book on the Stone House. So, they were sitting in the restaurant. And he's interviewing the man for about two hours. And, of course, he recorded the whole session. He put his little recorder out. And he was going to go back that night. And he would have all the information. And he wouldn't forget anything because, obviously, it was recorded. So that night, he's listening to the recording. And it's really hard to understand because of all the background noise coming from the diners at the restaurant. In fact, that's all he could hear. He couldn't hear himself or the author, even though they were sitting right in front of it but they could hear everyone around them. So it recorded, but it didn't record them, which would have been impossible. That is crazy. 
at one point, he could clearly hear someone say, Titty ran. He Titty? didn't make it. Titty, T-I-D-D-Y. Oh. Titty ran. He didn't make it. Now, a Daily News reporter listened to the recording, and he confirmed that that's all that was there. Wilson said that no one grabbed the recorder or spoke into it, especially not those words. So, he did some research. He found out that there was a man in town by the name of George Gordon Tidsbury, who used to be the deputy marshal. People there called him Tiddy. But so how awful and unfortunate that they sat there for two daggone hours <laughs> recording and there wasn't nothing on there. I know it. Except for titty. <laughs> yeah, tough titty. Tough titty. Cliff said that he couldn't find anything in his research to show that titty was running for anything or away from anything. So he really doesn't understand what was meant well, by yeah, saying yeah. that. Now, another well-known spirit here is that of an 11-year-old girl by the name of Mary Smith. That's my aunt's name. Is it? Yep. She's dead, though. Well, so is this one. Oh. She was killed close to the inn by a train in 1863. The bloody dress that the girl was wearing is framed and on display at the stone house. No way. It is. I've seen a picture of it. Oh. That's terrible. I tell you what, people, stay away from them damn train tracks. They ain't nothing but trouble. Mary has been seen by several employees and customers over the years. In the mid-1980s, officers Joe McNani and Steve Zanella, they had a call to go to the stone house in the middle of the night. Dispatch reported that a back door had been left open. So, they head out there. They start checking out the first floor, make sure that there's no burglars or vagrants or anything like that inside. Everything looked to be fine. But as they start to go upstairs, they both have a very eerie feeling. They hear some weird sounds. But it's a very old building, so they chalk it up to that. You know, Mm -hmm. it's going to make weird sounds. Upstairs is where the guest rooms used to be because they don't use it as an inn anymore. It's just a restaurant now. Okay. In fact, these rooms haven't been used for that purpose in decades. So they open one of the doors, and Officer Zanella jumps back. Officer McNani was like, what's wrong? What's what's going on? What? He's like, yeah. nani nani boo boo. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> and he was like, you didn't see her? Oh, my Lord, he saw something? Yes. So he said, no, no, see who? The figure that Zanella saw was the infamous 11-year-old Mary (gasps) Smith. Oh, she's still hanging up there. Yes. So as the officers are leaving the building, McNani looks up from the parking lot at one of the windows on the second floor. And as they're standing there, they see a figure of a little girl up in the window. Oh, the other guy, the other policeman saw too? Yes, he saw the silhouette of the young girl in the window And he looked over at his partner and said, look, Steve, there she is. Oh, my gosh. Several townspeople have had similar tales of doors opening, glasses breaking, and disembodied voices within the place. Now, the restaurant itself has been featured on on, uh, several TV shows, including Ghost Lab on a Discovery Channel. Mm Mm-hmm. That was a fun show. Yeah, it was. I forgot about that, actually. 
The Stones' manager, Brian Grimes, he says that the restaurant draws in customers from all over the place because of the paranormal side. In fact, the restaurant used to have a book that was completely filled with ghost stories from customers uh, that they, from what they had experienced there mm-hmm. at the restaurant. But they had to stop doing that when the pandemic started. Oh, shoot. He said that in October of 2020, some regulars brought in some out-of-town guests to eat with them. And he said that this is like pretty common. But he said the first thing that the guests wanted to do was see the attic. Oh. Because they, they know the stories. Yeah. You know. Unfortunately, a big part of the building is off-limit to customers and public because, uh, you know, there's just damage to it. Stuff oh, they're like afraid that. they not might get hurt safety, or something. Safety reasons. Mm-hmm. But they show as much as they possibly can. Yeah. One of the restaurant workers by the name of Matthew uh, Shapiro, he's had some sightings. He said they went into open one morning and he found a little girl's fingerprint on a mirror up on the second floor. He said it was much too high for a child to reach, and this area was off limits to the mm-hmm. public, so there should have been no children up there. Mm-hmm. So you got a fingerprint on a mirror that's no public up there, and even if it was children up there, it was too high for a child to reach. He said that sometimes they'll come in after a night when nobody has been in the building at all, and there will be baby handprints on the mirror. Oh, my gosh. And he said that's the creepiest thing that he's ever seen in his entire life. Oh, my life. gosh, I imagine. So let's talk a little more about 11-year-old Mary, okay? I'm sad for her. Well, she can be heard running around, giggling, bouncing the ball, and, of course, looking out that second-story window. Mm -hmm. A lot of people have seen that. We mentioned that her dress is framed and hanging up in a restaurant. The question I had was, how did that come to be? So I did a little research to try to find out. Back in the 1980s, a waitress was actually kind of digging through a storage space there at the restaurant. And she noticed some crumpled up white cloth. Well, it was a white dress that appeared to be a little girl's, and it had red stains on it, and it was of that era. Why would they have the blood-stained dress crumpled up? No Why in the world would they do that? But she took the dress away from the property, and supposedly all hell broke loose with the paranormal activity. Oh. So... They brought it back, they framed it, and they hung it up there, and things did get a little bit better. What was she going to do with it after she took it? I don't know. I think she was just going to get discarded or something. Maybe it was in her car or something, and I don't know. I didn't hear all see the details yeah. of where, what happened when it left the property. Is this story true, though? Man. Well, the little girl was killed by the railroad cars on June 11th, 1863. That's fact. We do know that. Is the dress her dress? No one is exactly sure, but they keep it because better safe than sorry. Oh, heck yeah, I would. And that's the story of the Stone's house. Hmm. Stone's public house, I should say. Mm-hmm. So what do you think? I like that story. I thought it was I thought it was very interesting. Yeah. And I thought I thought it's very odd to hang up a murdered See, that's what I dress. don't... Not I, murdered, well, but no, killed, but, but still, yeah. that's kind of odd. But I, that's very weird. But. I could understand if they kept it in the office or something, just because, hey, they, we want to have it here, because maybe that makes her happy or something, but to just put it out where everybody could see it. Yeah. 
That doesn't look like it's not like bright red stains on it. It's I know, but I just don't know if I can buy that or not. I don't either. I don't understand. Why would you want to? Well, I don't know why her dress would be there. I mean, she got hit by the train, you know, but maybe they, uh, well, I think what it is, and I kind of left this out, but she was hit by the train and they they took her body into the hotel. Oh, and they might have took the dress off there, maybe. Yeah, so I mean, I I left that out of the story. That's kind of important. So when she got hit by the train, they brought her into the hotel while they were waiting on authorities and parents and all that stuff to get there poor sweet baby so maybe that's why the dress would be there well that that would make sense yeah mm. so. all right guys we're gonna take a quick break from our sponsor and then we're gonna uh tell you a little bit and then we've got the folks from paranormal detectives you guys are gonna like this just a quick reminder we've got shows available live events already set up besides the cruise obviously we've got uh, indianapolis we've got louisville Williamson, West Virginia, and of course, Bobby Mackey's. That's what we got. So, without further ado, Tracy, what do you got? Oh, well, this week we have on our reviews, Will from Oklahoma, Ed Lake, Mojo Lobster, and Jason B. 007. Thank you, guys. Your reviews were so nice. I appreciate it so much. And then we have Ed Lake as a Patreon supporter as well. So thank you, Mr. Ed. Haha, <laughs> Mr. Ed. Like you. Oh, sorry, Mr. I mean, my sorry, Ed. But <laughs> thank you so much for your patronage. We appreciate y'all so, so, so much. And uh, just keep those reviews coming. We appreciate them. Love you guys so much. Awesome. All right. Listen, listen to Josh and the crew from Paranormal Detectives. Hey guys, I'm excited to actually have these three guests on. We set this up about a month ago. That's how busy everybody's schedule is. It took us a month to get everybody together. But I've got on uh, the Phantom Detectives, and we're going to start off. We, we've got actually we got Josh and Melissa and Rick on, and we're going to start off with uh, Josh Chairs. He actually is the uh, I guess we'll say the quote unquote leader of the group to start off. And uh, Josh, thanks for coming on, buddy. Oh, thanks for having me. It's an absolute pleasure to be here, and I am very excited uh, about coming on today. And I heard a lot of good things about this show from many colleagues, and I'm ready to sit down and talk paranormal investigating with you. Awesome. So you've got uh, two of your members with us here today. Tell me who you've got on, and uh, then we'll learn a little bit about each one of you guys and gals. Absolutely. So today we have myself, and we have my lead investigator uh, uh, slash uh, basically the also the leader of the, the director of investigations for the extraterrestrial research center, Rick Warner. And we also have my psychic medium and assistant lead investigator, Melissa Farazano on, who is awesome. also a student of Cindy Kayser from the Holzer Falls. Nice. Nice. So a little, little bit of uh, you guys have, have some nice ties. So Josh, you, you, you've had some ties with Art Bell in the past, correct? Oh, absolutely. Um, I have worked with um, some of his former staff members um, in the past, uh, basically working, you know, booking on video editing, uh, audio editing, as well as booking some of their uh, guests for a couple of his former staff members. And I also, on May 21st, 2021, uh, Phantom Detectives LLC acquired the rights to Dark Matter News, which was a newscast at the bottom of every hour on Art Bell's Midnight in the Desert. So we acquired the rights and we rebranded it and relaunched the website under the Phantom Detectives LLC 
ownership and the uh, original Dark Matter News um, was used to belong to a fellow named Leo Ashcraft who worked in the Dallas, Texas area. And he actually um, was Art Bell's former affiliate director at that time in 2015. So tell me a little bit about you. How did you get started in paranormal investigating? How did uh, Phantom Detective kind of get started? So um, I'm, of course, uh, my uh, interest in the supernatural got started at an early age while watching um, as much any kid when they were four or five years old, watching Unsolved Mysteries with Robert Stack. And there was an episode on there called the, uh, the General Wayne Inn episode, which is an old uh, English coaching inn uh, based out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. And it's named after a Revolutionary War hero, Major General Anthony Wayne. And that episode really got me interested in the supernatural. And then... Um, in 2002, when I turned 18, I had the opportunity to go back there and investigate the General Wayne in with the late parapsychologist uh, named Micheline Mayer. And at the time, there was a actual uh, uh, local ghost hunting team based out of Philly at that time. So I had the a rare opportunity to be able to go into the General Wayne Inn and do a um, investigation. And there um, I felt very uneasy, especially heading down in the uh, wine cellar. Uh, There, many people report seeing a a Hessian soldier from the Revolutionary War. And what was kind of weird after when I went down there, when I took some photos, I actually um, went ahead and used a digital camera, took three clicks. And one of the uh, photos that I took had really weird yellow, green and yellow streaks of light for it. And I have no explanation why that could have been there. And then um, many people have also reported seeing the same apparition basically in other parts of the inn uh, on the stairs, as well as um, other parts in the upstairs office as well. So I think, you know, that's how I got my start in paranormal investing in 2002. And then in August of 2020, I went ahead and decided to start a new paranormal research team. I fortunately wanted to break away from my former society leader um, who basically taught me everything I know. And I wanted to be able to, you know, give it, give me, be my, at the lead investigator at the time, Sasha, a lead, a new start. So we went ahead, we created a Phantom Detectives LLC, and we also created business cards, social media pages, a team email, had logos designed, and we started doing paranormal investigations under the new banner in October of 2020 and our first uh, pre-investigation, it was a public one at a place called the Selma Mansion with a uh, well-known paranormal investigator by the name of Brian J. Cano. Uh, Brian uh, was uh, the uh, tech manager on a show called The Haunted Collector with John Zaffis. And uh, Brian was there basically uh, with some local friends and he actually taught Sasha and I how to um, conduct EVPs. He also trained us on how to run the ghost box and he was just a wonderful teacher. And there, um, you know, we had that investigation. And then in uh, December of 2020, uh, December 9th, we went back to a place called the Sanderson Museum based out of Chad's Fords. We did our first official team investigation um, at the uh, Sanderson Museum. And this museum is uh, basically dates back. There was a fellow by the name of Christian Sanderson who lived there. He was a violin player. He was a local, um, he also was a local poet. He also was a teacher, and he was also uh, well-known. Um, also, he had a, quite a few friends. Like, there's actual letters in the museum from uh, Helen Keller, um, a famous Indian by the name of Sitting Bull. There's also um, so actual artifacts that belong to um, a well-known uh, president, uh, Abraham Lincoln. There's a bandage in the museum, uh, and there was also uh, quite a few other artifacts, such as a, a purse from the Jenny Wade House, 
And there, during our first investigation, we actually went ahead and um, set up the uh, equipment, basically, in the violin room. And in the violin room, is the most active part of the museum. Um, there, basically, when Sasha and I were in there, um, you know, our EMF detectors were going off. At the same time, our security system was going off. At the same time, um, Sasha caught some weird streaks of light and also possible, um, you know, well-defined orbs that have multiple colors as well in that room. So that was uh, our first investigation and how the Phantom Detectives came to be. Awesome. So we're going to get into some stories later that you guys have come across. Obviously, I want to uh, learn about some of these other members that we have on. So let's start with Rick. Rick, tell me a little bit about how you became involved with uh, Phantom Detectives and uh, what your area of expertise are. I know he mentioned earlier the uh, uh, UFOs and, and some other stuff, but tell me what you bring to Phantom Detectives. Well, actually, Joshua found me on LinkedIn, and I, I'm a certified UFO investigator from MUFON, but now I actually um, have my own investigative agency um, basically, it's based on research and investigation. It's called ERC, Extraterrestrial Research Center. I'm the executive director. I'm the director of investigations. And um, I should mention, too, I'm also the USA ambassador for the Italian UFO Federation, which is one of the biggest UFO investigative agency in all of Italy. So that's kind of cool. Um, I work with them. And, yeah, so... Uh, you know, he found me on LinkedIn and invited me to become part of Phantom Detectives. And I was able to bring in my investigation skills um, as a certified uh, UFO investigator and also my interviewing skills, talking to different people about, um, you know, different sighting events and that sort of thing. So, yeah, um, and I really enjoy doing it. So it's been working out great. We work with some great people. We get along well. Everybody's like family. We don't have any problems. It's nice. Nice. Mm -hmm. Melissa, same question for you. How did you become part of Phantom Detectives and what do you bring to the group? Um, well, <clears throat> uh, roughly six months ago, um, Joshua found me um, because I'm a student of Cindy Cases. So um, I, I believe Joshua may have been taking classes as well through her. Um, he found that I am local uh, you know, to the area, you know, Delaware County, well, um, what, what is it? Um, Chester County, Pennsylvania, that's where Phantom Detectives is, is based out of. Um, so <clears throat> basically, um, he was recommended uh, by Cindy Kesa, you know, uh, uh, I'm sorry, I was recommended by Cindy Kesa to Joshua. Um, apparently, you know, she thought I was a, a great student and that I would be beneficial to the team. So I've had experiences with um, uh, seeing spirit as a very young child. And um, basically, I, as I grew older, I embraced these experiences and began to uh, study under teachers and mentors. So, you know, to um, just become uh, more experienced. Um, and I started giving readings to the public, mostly mediumship readings. And um, so when Joshua reached out, this was a fantastic opportunity because I had never done a paranormal investigation working as a medium. So coming into these locations and seeing what I can tune into or who I can tune into, um, it's, been, it's been really neat. Uh, it, it's really no different than me reading for a person. 
Um, tuning into spirit is tuning into spirit. So um, it's been it's been great so far, and uh, what I've found has been pretty accurate. Uh, going into these locations blindly is very important. You know, you you don't want to know any backstories or any histories about these locations, or otherwise it, it taints you know what uh, it taints my findings. It, we want we want it to be as authentic as possible. So uh, I was uh, very happy when Joshua reached out, and I've been with Phantom Detectives for roughly six months, and um, it's it's been great. And each investigation, uh, it's unique. And, um, you know, the more we do these investigations, the more experienced I become. And um, as Rick said, we've become a family. You know, um, we work very well together. We all bring something unique to the table. So I'm excited to see um, what happens with our team as, as we go forward. So. Joshua, how many members do you have as part of uh, Phantom Detectives as we speak? Yes, yeah, so currently we have five members. Of course, us three are the core members. And then there's also um, Sasha Zazorak. Um, she's getting ready to go out to Tennessee um, for six months, basically. She's going from January 1st to uh, July 1st. And she is a Civil War reenactor. She is a audio engineer. She is a musician. Um, and also basically our, she does a great job of setting, help us set up the equipment. She also, um, we do like experiments with her using uh, the Estes method where she hooks up the uh, ghost box with the blindfold. Um, and she also invents paranormal equipment. She made her own version of the SLS camera. She also made her own version of, a, of the music box, like similar to Dakota Lens from uh, Destination Fear. She also made her own SLS camera. So she's kind of like our para inventor. And of course, we also have the only team in the world with um, the psychic lawyer, uh, Mark Anthony, the psychic explorer, nice. psychic lawyer. And uh, he's on our team um, as, you know, he basically is going to be joining us uh, next year when we start doing uh, more investigations. Currently, he's in Florida and he just finished his new book, The Afterlife Frequency, which was uh, very uh, basically a bestseller on Amazon. So he'll be uh, available to join us. And we also have a cinematographer um, who's presently not on this call, but her name is Rachel Stevens. Uh, she's right out of college and, and she runs her own LLC, um, basically a cinematography company called Studio 24, if I remember correctly. And uh, that's um, she's going to be working with us starting, uh, you know, this Saturday. And also she helped take our team photos uh, this past uh, Friday, uh, December 3rd at Rockford Tower, which are going to be released in a really well-known paranormal magazine called Paranormal Underground for the month of December. Nice. So what is your long-term plans for the group? Obviously you got a cinematographer. I'm assuming you're planning on doing a bunch of video and, and, uh, and what have you is, are, what, what do you plan to do with pair uh, with, with phantom detectives? Are you looking to have a TV show? Or are you looking to just have a YouTube channel? You tell me what, what your plans yeah. are. So currently our plans pretty much right now, we're just kind of built out, out just starting to get our name, starting to build, uh, you know, who we are as a group. And we're starting kind of small. We're starting locally um, to the area. So I got a three-step plan how that's going to work. Um, we're first going to start building, uh, working with local teams in the area. And we're going to basically, um, you know, investigate uh, haunted locales uh, throughout Pennsylvania, New Jersey, um, Maryland, and then um, as time goes on, we're eventually hope eventually to host start hosting public investigations at places um, like Fort Mifflin, Pennhurst, 
um, potentially Eastern State Penitentiary, Fort Mifflin, um, all the other local haunts in the area, White Hill Mansion, Selma Mansion. Um, so we, we might be winching might start doing some public investigations. And then, of course, eventually, um, we would like to eventually go tra travel across the country um, and get our own TV show down the road. Um, you know, for now, we're going to focus on YouTube and try to build an audience on there, working with Rachel um, as we record these investigations and put them up there. We already got a YouTube intro out true already set so my uh, plan is to start off kind of small locally and then kind of branch off and like as we grow just like um ghost hunters did and ghost adventures did when 2003 2004 they just kind of get started getting their name out there and they just got bigger over time nice so rick let's talk ufos for a little bit have you okay. had any have you what kind of personal experiences have you had i'm assuming that you've you've had some sightings or you probably wouldn't have been as interested to get involved with MUFON and and uh, the the other higher levels that you have become involved with. So tell me a little bit about your experiences. Yeah, that's correct. So when I was a kid, this was when I was living in uh, Southern California and I was with my mom and, and, and a good friend of hers and we were driving by, I believe it was the uh, 22 freeway, which goes east and west. And my mom's talking to her friend. They're kind of like, you know, just really engaged in their conversation. So they're barely even paying attention to the road, at least the driver anyway. And, um, you know, all of a sudden, you know, right above the freeway, I see this saucer-shaped thing, just like this hovered real quick over the freeway. And then and it was like a blink of an eye. I mean, the thing took off an incredible speed. And I'm like, whoa, I mean... And it wasn't, you know, definitely wasn't, you know, I could tell it wasn't a helicopter, wasn't a single engine plane or any kind of uh, passenger uh, jet or military aircraft, anything like that. No uh, military or, or uh, medical transport, uh, you know, planes or anything like that. And, uh, you know, they didn't really see it because, I mean, it happened so quick. So that kind of got me excited. and. Um, you know, that and I've always felt that, you know, you know, I mean, hey, you know, we're within the Milky Way galaxy. And they said that, you know, the scientists are saying that there's like probably a trillion planets that haven't even been discovered yet just within the Milky Way galaxy. And that's huge. And so, you know, with all these planets out there, I mean, I just feel it's hard to believe that there wouldn't be any other type of uh you know, other life on other planets. So yeah, um, you know, there, there's, I definitely believe there's, there's stuff out there with all the sightings. I mean, like 80, probably 80 to 85% of this stuff can be uh, summed up to man-made objects or uh, some type of a weather event, you know, that sort of thing. But about 15 to 20% of what is actually reported has been filed as unidentified. So now you hear, you know, UAP, unidentified area phenomenon or phenomena, however you want to call it. So, but yeah, there's definitely a, a lot of sightings out there and it's been increasing more and more as time goes by. We do a little episode every Saturday. It's just a little short eight or 10 minute episode called UF Only. And we cover all these little sightings all the way. We've gone back to the 40s and the 50s, 60s, 70s. 
of all these little different occurrences that literally are without a doubt it's some type of ufo and they just always seem to get swept under the rug and yeah. it just it oh, just yeah. amazes me it amazes me how uh stupid that they think that the public is to, exactly. to have something like oh we just saw a triangle effect it had three or a triangle shaped objects got three lights underneath of it 100 people saw it oh that was a weather balloon oh was it yeah now? right and yeah. here's the crazy thing. I mean, right under people's noses, the FBI, the CIA, the Department of Defense were conducting their own investigations in regards to UFOs. And a lot of stuff was being swept under the rug. I mean, the government wasn't saying, you know, see, you didn't hear the CIA and FBI coming out and saying, hey, we're conducting these, these investigations on these cases. No, everything was like swept under the rug. They didn't want people to know. And I think a lot of that is, is that they're afraid of instilling public panic. You know, everybody freaking right. out like, oh, my God, you know, we're being invaded by UFOs, you know. Um, but I think what's happened is for such a long period of time that has gone by, you know, I mean, people aren't stupid. And, you know, with the things that the scientists are saying, you know, credible astrophysicists and astronomers and things like that, you know, you really can't discount some of these findings. And I mean, you have credible witnesses, you've got airline pilots, uh, you know, people high up in the military, astronauts um, that have seen different types of events for themselves. So it's really hard to discredit these people with very good education and good reputations as far as things that are being seen out there. Well, that's why I like yeah. to cover a lot of the stories that have uh, the uh, people who've seen these, the eyewitnesses have like a military background or a police background or yes. you know pilots because they have seen it all. So if they say something strange, then it's definitely something strange because they're up there all the time. They see what's normally out there. We just covered the article. You probably saw it being in the field that you're in on December 1st. There was an article that came out, uh, I think came out in the Daily News in the UK originally. But it was a it was a, an officer, a retired officer from the Royal Canadian Air Force that was talking about all these things get swept under the rug. And he just came out and said, look, hey, these things are getting reported by credible sources. And then they, they just go on, get put on a shelf and that's where they stay. So, yeah, yeah, people are really becoming exactly. more vocal about it now. Absolutely. You know, that's the thing. Yeah. And, and, you know, the other thing, too, is you have sometimes, like, uh, to give an example, um, so a guy on LinkedIn, you know, that reached out to me and he said, hey, um, you know, he put on LinkedIn some footage of something that it looked like, um, you know, he's a paranormal investigator. He's been doing it for a while, him and his friend. And he invited a, uh, a few guests to come out to the cemetery in Chicago. Well, apparently they've been going out there for a very long time and having really good results. And they all go out there and, you know, they, weird things happen. I mean, like they'll feel like, you know, somebody touching them on the shoulder. Uh, they'll feel like uh, they're being pushed or one guy reported like, you know, he felt something pulling him down to the ground. And in the video, <clears throat> when you look at it, you see this big, large mass that morphs, morphs itself into different things, like different shapes. And I thought, wow, this is really crazy. And uh, one particular part um, during the recording, so one of his members, 
she takes a flashlight and she's shining it in that direction. And the light, instead of actually staying forward, the flashlight bounced back towards her face. And they didn't even see anything there at the time. You know, it just came up on the video, but it, the light came back right back in her face, which is very strange. And, you know, when you see it morphing around, um, you know, could it could have been definitely something extraterrestrial. I mean, I couldn't say that it was, but I couldn't say that it wasn't. So as a UFO investigator uh, background that I have, it's very important that you don't just go out and say, yeah, everything is a UFO. Everything is, a, you know, that's an extraterrestrial being, you know, that kind of thing. You have to gather the data in an intelligent manner, and you got to conduct a case thoroughly so that you can arrive to an intelligent conclusion. Don't want to just throw out loose things out there and say, yeah, this is what it is. So um, that's one of the things I, I, I like about, you know, being trained um, well by MUFON is that I'm told, you know, uh, we're all we were all taught, don't just go out and just, you know, you're giving an interview, number one, you know, listen to what they have to say on the phone or in person, and don't just say, yeah, I agree with you, that was definitely a UFO. You're like, well, I'm gathering the data right now. And once we get all the data together, we're going to come to a case disposition and also classification. Well, I got a bone to pick with MUFON. I love their stuff, but I used to be able to just go on the site and pull up all these different yeah. incidents and, and research and use them. But now everything's behind a paywall, paywall. And I'm not sure when that started, but it had to be fairly recent because I hadn't I hadn't noticed it until last weekend. I was like, man, there's all these stories that I can't get to now. <laughs> so now I can well, somebody to fork yeah. over some money. Well, it doesn't really surprise me. I mean, you know, I should mention that their, their database um, – for a while, it's been very behind and very congested. Um, they use something that's called CMS, which is case management system. So, you know, a lot of times there's lag times or, you know, you're entering information and only half of it goes in the database. Uh, you know, I left there for some particular reasons and some things I didn't like about them that I won't go into. But, you know, other than that, I mean, you know, the training's great. Um, I think their website could be a little bit better as far as being able to navigate a little bit more. So, um, you know, I put together my own website and uh, I made it very easy to navigate for people to get information. Um, you know, there's a great knowledge base there for people to uh, learn about things and stuff like that. But uh, anyway, getting back to uh, paranormal, uh, I definitely think there's instances when something paranormal and a ghostly event can cross over into an extraterrestrial event. And that's an interesting concept. I definitely, uh, I'm fascinated with every, what, it seems like there's a lot of different situations where you can take the extraterrestrial and, and combine it with something else like Bigfoot for a lot of, a lot of people, they like to say, Hey, is it interdimensional? Is it uh, extraterrestrial? Is it a cryptid? And then the same thing, like you said, sometimes it's, you know, between it, uh, you know, interdimensional and and uh, extraterrestrial, all that kind of floats together sometimes, and and it makes it even more fascinating to think that those things can combine. So that's right, yeah. So M Melissa, tell me about as a as a medium. Tell me about the first and uh, the first experience that you ever had to where you realized you had a gift. 
Wow, yeah, it's, uh, uh, I was a very young child. I would say um, probably around uh, somewhere between three to five years old. Uh, I remember that I would always see the same spirit. And I know it sounds cliche, but it was always in the middle of the night, uh, the same spirit would, would come and visit me and the spirit would just watch me. And as a, as a child, of course, you don't know what to make of this. And trying to explain this to mom and dad at that age, well, of course, they're going to chalk it up to it's just your imagination. But I'm telling you, this same spirit uh, was with me for many, many years, I'd say until probably I was like uh, 10, 10 years old. And, um, uh, you know, it, it just I, I would just be up. I remember just not being able to sleep back in those days. <laughs> I mean, just the spirit watching you constantly. Um but, you know, as I grew older, I uh, maybe the spirit just went away or maybe I just learned how to tune this out. Um, <clears throat> but, you know, I still went through life, you know, my teen years sleeping with the light on, always knowing that I had this ability, that there was just something different. And it, it isn't something that you could just um, talk about with the average folks without, uh, you know, somebody thinking you're delusional, of course. So... <laughs> Um, but I did the best I could tuning out this ability and going through life and just trying to just ignore it. I always knew it was there, but the thought just still frightened me. So I would say roughly six years ago, uh, everything came back full force. Uh, I remember waking up in the middle of the night to a spirit of a woman staring me right in the face and it frightened the life out of me, which goes without saying. Now, she appeared to be very friendly. She was waving at me and just happy that she had my attention, but um, I wasn't exactly happy to see her, of course. Right. So, <laughs> and I, I just remember just letting out a scream and uh, thinking, oh my goodness, how am I going to sleep again at night? Like, here we go again. You know, so many years later in my adult life, here we go again. Um, you know, same stuff, just many years later. But um, what actually helped me was to embrace this ability instead of fearing it, to accept that it is a part of me. And I, I said, okay, well, now what am I going to do with this? Um, you know, I, I would just now, once I started embracing this, I found that I was able to just randomly, not even trying, just start um, tuning into the people around me. And I would you know, just um, internally, you know, they, you hear the expression, your, your third eye, uh, which is, you know, clairvoyance, I would clairvoyantly see their loved ones around them. Um, and I would start bringing through messages. And I was pretty spot on. So I thought, wow, um, you know, how can I use this? And, and how can I how can I help people that that was my goal? I thought, how, how can I uh, use this to help others? to give them some kind of closure and peace that their loved ones are around them. And I found that there are plenty of wonderful teachers and mentors out there to help you uh, work with your ability. Um, so as Joshua mentioned, Cindy Kaza from the Hoser Files, uh, I, I just was always, um, I, I, I'm a big fan of hers. And when I found that she mentors students uh, who have these abilities, um, you know, to help them enhance their, their gifts, if you will, I, I started taking the time to study under her. 
And, uh, you know, as I mentioned, that's how Joshua and I wound up uh, connecting through Cindy. So, and uh, uh, going on these paranormal investigations, it, it really is amazing. It's amazing. Um, you know, I, I walk into these locations and um, who I immediately tune into and um, what is the vibe? What are they telling me? Are, are they happy to see us? Are they saying, you know, this is my space and you're in, infringing on it? You know, so uh, each place, I mean, it, it's definitely unique. Each experience is different. I look forward to each investigation because um, it, it's amazing what, what um, you know, what it's going to bring. You know, it, it's uh, it's been interesting. So my piece of equipment is a notebook and pen. That's what I use them for the most part. And I, I just jot down what I find because I, I want to see if it can be verified through the history of, of these places and even through using our equipment. Um, if I'm tuning into a spirit of a woman, um, you know, it's interesting to find if maybe we will capture an EVP of a woman's voice, you know, maybe in a certain room where I'm saying, okay, I, I feel there's a woman present here. And if we happen to capture a voice in that room, that, that seems to verify my findings. So, um, yeah, so like I said, each place, it's, uh, it's unique for sure. And it's, it's very exciting, you know, so I, I look forward to each one. So I like to I like to ask this question whenever I have a medium on. Mm -hmm. What do you think happens when we pass away? What do you think happens to the soul or energy or however you want to term it? I don't know obviously what your religious background is. Everybody's got a different uh, uh, a mindset on on what happens. But what do you think happens to us once we die? Um, yeah, I know that's, uh, <laughs> I, I still, I, I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. Um, you know, I understand, you know, we, we, we say, um, like you said, depending on your religious background, people use the term heaven a lot. Uh, we, 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 you know, we die, we go to heaven. Um, but I, I don't feel that heaven, <laughs> like the song says, heaven isn't too far away. I feel that um, this, this next dimension is around us. It's very closely connected to us. It isn't in some far off place in the, you know, in the sky, if you will. It's, um, it's, it's around us, very, very closely connected, more than we realize. Um, so I'm still trying to figure that out for myself. I have different thoughts. I have different theories, but I don't feel that our loved ones, you know, they're, they're not in some far off place. They're pretty uh, they're, they're pretty close by us. And, um, you know, so I feel like that's why it's pretty easy for me to tune into, um, you know, our, our loved ones, whenever I'm doing a reading, or like I said, investigating a, a location. Um, the, the one thing that I'm still trying to figure out is, and, and I know there's different theories, why are some spirits hanging around these locations? And why do some cross over and just go into their next, um, you know, go into the afterlife? You know, um, so um, the way I, I feel is that there's either unfinished business, why they stay around, or, um, you know, they're just so closely just connected to, they're very attached to that location. You know, they, they're, they're just not ready to leave it. That's their home and that will always be their home. Um, so, yeah, that's something that I'm trying to, um, to still figure out, you know, the whys, you know, why do some crossover, why are some here? You know, um, 
yeah, so it's it's definitely uh, <laughs> it's it still keeps me um, wandering myself. So it's def it's definitely confusing because with every question that you have, you, if you even come close to an answer, it brings up three more questions. Yeah. And you know, so like I always wondered, and and this is just kind of a a thought process. You know, you you hear people say, "Oh, once you get to heaven." Or once you get to the afterworld, I'm just using these as expressions, not necessarily belief, but once you get up there, it's like uh, an unconditional love for everybody. And it's, uh, but then you wonder, okay, if that's true and you kind of don't worry about what's going on in, on earth, why do people come back? You know, why is there spirits that seemingly come back to be guardian angels or to watch over people? If you are kind of in a place to where that shouldn't matter to you, or the emotions aren't the same as what they are on earth, but yet it seems that there's, there's always visitors that do have those emotions uh, because they're obviously clingy to some people and, and try to take care of them. So that, that part's confusing. And then this is what it always got me. You know, you'll hear, uh, say somebody was married to somebody for a long time. They were, they were the love of their life and that person passes away. And then you always hear people say, oh, in the afterlife, you'll be able to be together again. But then that person gets remarried and, and they and they love their other spouse just as much as they love their first spouse. What happens then in the afterlife when you've got two spouses, you know, up, up there? I mean, do you do you literally pick one or do you? But it, it's, it's pretty funny. You mentioned art, actually, uh, when he lost Ramona in 2006. Um, he actually really uh, believes, like he once told um, my mentors this, that basically when uh, Ramona uh, passed away, that basically he met, uh, he, Ramona brought him Aaron, and he went to the Philippines when he was doing Coast to Coast at that time, and basically he remarried, you know, um, you know, uh, Aaron, basically, uh, Aaron Ruiz, basically, and, you know, they fell in love and all that, so sometimes that, that's a good question, when he passed away, you know, how's that going to work out, you know, <laughs> is he with Ramona right now, or when Aaron, you know, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it's it's very interesting. So it's like I said, it's and it's nothing that any of us are going to probably know until we're in that situation. Uh, right. I had Kim Russo on the show one time and uh -huh. she had mentioned that she feels like and she's not the only person I've heard this from, but she feels like that when we pass away, we go into like uh, almost like a classroom type setting. And we learned everything that we did right and everything we did wrong on the earth while we were there. And then eventually after learning where we can improve, we can go back in. And, you know, for, for the biggest part of my life, I was raised uh, Catholic and Baptist before that. And the most of those religions do not necessarily believe if you follow the religion to the hilt of uh, uh, any type of reincarnation. And oh, the, more that I've, the more I've done this show and hear these stories of reincarnation, you know, I think I've I've edged myself to believe that there is reincarnation and, and that we we do go on. And so for, for me, doing investigations for this show and doing interviews has changed my mindset on something that I, I would have never thought about five years ago. Um and I think it's amazing to think that we maybe do go to the classroom setting, like uh, Kim Russo said, and maybe we do learn and come back down when it's time. Right. 
but uh, I like to think that maybe it's the case. But then again, I also kind of like the idea of, you know, I've done my 70 or 80 years here. I'm done and I'm ready to just uh, retire permanently or something. And maybe that's an option. Who knows? But uh, right. Rick, what's your thoughts on, on uh, reincarnation or what happens to the soul after we leave? Or do you believe that there is an afterwards? You know, personally, um, uh, you know, I believe I do believe that there that there could be people that uh, get reincarnated um, just based on things that I've been told, you know, that other people have talked about on different shows and that sort of thing. Um, I also believe in heaven. I also believe in hell. Um, but I think that, you know, reincarnation doesn't just stop with humans i think it also it could be people's pets because i I, I i you know when one of our dogs passed away the crazy thing was is that when we got another dog i kept feeling like the spirit of our dog that passed away was in this dog and there were a lot of dissimilarities like it was almost like a carbon copy of, of the way it behaved, the way it acted, everything, but just, but in a different dog, you know, and, and I had a really strong feeling that when that dog passed away, that it got into this other dog that we have. So. I've actually got a listener who, and and I'll probably have this backwards, uh, but she says that she thinks that the child that she has is reincarnated of her dog that passed away or vice versa. <laughs> but I mean, that's, that's crazy. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. But I mean, yeah. but she's, she covered yeah. all the similarities and why she thought that and little things that both <laughs> of them did that were unique. And so who yeah. knows, Joshua, what's your thoughts? I know, I know you are a uh, uh, devout Christian. Yes. What are your, what are your thoughts on what happens after we pass away? What happens to our soul? And the reason I asked that question uh, more specifically to you, because I know you are, like I said, you're, you're a very religious man. And yes. if you look at the Bible and I'm not an expert on the Bible, so correct me if I'm wrong on any of this stuff, but you know, my understanding is the Bible says that once we pass away, we're basically wait till judgment day and then uh you know they'll come down and they'll pull whoever's coming to heaven and you know then whoever's going to hell is going to hell but you're kind of uh, not floating around and doing other stuff until then you're just you're done until judgment day am i correct in that or am i closer tell me oh absolutely in fact the new book um dr mark anthony um wrote in the afterlife uh, frequency he calls uh basically our souls when we die um, as the electromagnetic soul, which is basically pure internal energy that never dies. Um, this basically means the, uh, the energy that cannot be created, that cannot be destroyed, but that just transfers from one form to another that takes on commu- commu- uh, spirit communication, near death experiences, deathbed visions. And um, Mark actually goes through all this process and, and basically explains how the electromagnetic soul, um, it's almost like, uh, think of it like a bunch of, um, you know, it goes into this pool, basically, this pool of uh, this internal uh, pool of different, uh, you know, beings. And so when we move from one form to another, basically, we're just basically transferring energy. So we're becoming electromagnetic energy. Um, our souls are, you know, made of electricity. They're made of um, 
actual parts of who we are. And basically when that, when that, when that, when we pass away, that energy is still there. It still lingers basically, whether it's a residual energy or intelligent energy, there's always going to be um, a place memory or something of, of us there that echoes throughout the uh, annals of time, like a ripple effect, like throwing a stone in the water, you see the ripples, you know? Well, that makes sense. So what are your thoughts on what happens? I, I believe, especially after reading the Bible, once we officially pass on, basically, many people like Dr. Raymond Moody, who have, I've studied under and learned, read some books under, um, many of them have basically said, you know, there's actually like when people die, I've seen it thousands of times that there's a tunnel of light. And this tunnel of light, basically, um, you know, you know, either you're going to go to heaven or you're going to go um, below based upon whether you know Jesus or not. And with my religious beliefs, I believe that basically once we die, we, we see a, you know, a tunnel of light and basically the uh, angels will pull us uh, to heaven as we get closer um, to be with the Lord. Or basically those, there's also negative, like depending on if we didn't know God and we lived, you know, we were, you know, we were a bad person, we'll go and um, be there um, with the uh, Lucifer uh, down in the death. So it's all based on how somebody lives their life and how basically they treated others and, you know, all based on that, that kind of stuff. And I believe that we're either going to go either one way or to the other. And I believe all the uh, souls that are a lot of these haunted locations, these are people that got stuck um, between dimensions. They're still there. Um, and because they, they have it, they might have unfinished business uh, at a location, all based upon the past history, all based upon how they, um, you know, how they died at a location. So all this energy is still there. It's stored there. And it, like just like a place like Gettysburg, when you see that, you definitely see that Gettysburg is very um, sixty thousand people lost their lives there. So there's a lot of souls still trapped there. So a lot of these souls, are, I believe, are still trapped at locations. And you know, I believe when we die, basically these plate, you know, these souls are still there. They're, they're there to tell us their story. And when we come, we come across this very respectful. We want to be able them to tell us um, basically how can we help them, and you know, helping homeowners and business owners also is the main mission for Phantom Detectives LLC. How can we basically go in and be able to investigate and give them an answer to what's going on in their uh, specific houses? So I believe that once we die, basically the, the energy ripples and we're basically, you know, we're, we're moving from one form to another. It's all electromagnetic. It's all, you know, part of our, uh, part of who we are. You know? Let's go through one more time before we get off here, because I, I, I'm super happy that you guys spent some time with us today. Tell us again, how people can find out more about phantom detectives. Where can they go? Yes. Okay. So we have three websites. Um, the first one is uh, phantomdetectives.org. So P-H- a-N-T-O-M-D-E-T-E-C-T-I-V-E. So phantomdetectives.org is our uh, main site. And then, of course, you know, Rick's um, UFO investigation site is ERC2, uh, the number two, and the um, explore.com. So erc2explore.com. And, of course, our last, our sister website is darkmatternews.com. All one word, dark mattermatternews.com, which is what we're opening, um, which belong to Art Bell's old affiliate director, and we relaunched it as a news hub. So it's kind of a site where people can just post their articles, and we'll put them up in their events, and anything that they have, um, you know, that we that they would like us to work with, that's uh, kind of our sister website. All right. I appreciate it. You guys have been awesome. Thank you so much, uh, Josh, Rick, and Melissa, for coming on and spending some time with us. Thank you for having us. It was a pleasure. Thank you. Yes, great meeting you. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you guys so much. A fun little 
interview. Like I said, it's about 45 minutes full of cool stories. Yeah, it's great. And, uh, Thank you guys for coming on and doing that for us. Yeah, we appreciate it. And uh, thanks all of you for everything that you do. This actually wraps up the year for us. This is the last Hillbilly Horror Stories of 2021. It's been a great year, guys. And we appreciate you all so, so much. Thanks for hanging with us for this long, long time. It means the world to us. Absolutely. And we'll see you uh, in a couple of days. All right, guys. We love you.